Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis on Monday called for a universal ban on the practice of surrogate motherhood, condemning commercialization of pregnancy in his annual address to the Holy See's diplomatic corps. Pope Francis gave his annual State of the World address this week, talking about surrogacy and peace. We'll tell you what you need to know. And in the second half of our show, Jerry and I look ahead at Pope Francis's plans for 2024. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Colleen, from uh, gray skies of Rome. And we're getting a stretch of cold weather, I think. We had big storms last night here, and there's a lot of flooding today, actually. Now, for our podcast, before we get into what is expected to be on the Pope's agenda, his travel plans for this year, I want to talk about his State of the World Address. This is his annual address to the diplomats who represent their nations at the Holy See, and he gave this talk on Monday, January 8th. It was a dense and wide-ranging talk, and our listeners can read your story on it at the link in our show notes. But let's cover a few of the basics about the talk and the highlights from what the Pope said. Who all goes to this speech, and how have Popes usually used this New Year's address to the diplomatic corps? Well, this is one of the big talks given by the Pope uh, in the year. It comes at the beginning of the New Year. It's a kind of a state of the world as seen from the Vatican perspective. And you have 184 countries that now have full diplomatic relations with the Holy See. So that's 184 out of the 193 UN member states. In the United Nations, you have 193 member states. And also the European Union and the Sovereign Order of the Knights of Malta. So really, you have 186 present at that meeting. I think it's really interesting that they have diplomatic relations with both Israel and Palestine. Obviously, that played into this talk. But what are some of the countries that don't have diplomatic relations with the Holy See? Are there, are there notable exceptions? The big ones that do not have diplomatic relations are the People's Republic of China, North Korea, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia, and then a number of smaller countries. And and the big real development last year was Oman established full diplomatic relations with the Holy See. And Vietnam is on the verge of doing so. It now has agreed that the Vatican can have a permanent representative and office in Hanoi. Got it. Let's talk about what the Pope said in this speech. And I want to start with one of the comments that got a lot of media attention, which was actually a rather small part of the speech. But uh, it was his call for an international ban on surrogacy, surrogate motherhood. His 
comments were three short sentences out of a six-page speech, but this seems to have upset some people who see surrogacy as a way for people who can't carry a child themselves to have their own kids. So why did the Pope talk about surrogacy? What did this have to do with his message about peace to these diplomats? Well, this is a very good question, and I don't have the full answer to this. I suspect it may well have something to do with Italian politics, because there's a a legislation going through the parliament right now which would ban it. And it may have been a kind of a backup to the Italian politics. It may also be there are countries at war like Ukraine, which allow this surrogate pregnancy. And uh, I I know during the war that, for example, from Argentina, there were people who came to pick up their babies who had been born by a surrogate mother in Ukraine. It may sound strange, but right in the middle midst of the war, this was happening. But I really was personally rather surprised that this suddenly became the story of a 5,000-word, 45-minute speech by the Pope on the state of the world, where the word surrogate was mentioned once, the word peace was mentioned 27 times. A person who is part of the media said to me when I said I was very surprised that this became the lead story, especially more in the Anglophone world, I must say. And this person said to me, but Jerry, don't you understand that sex and money are the ones that bring the clicks? I was going to say the exact same thing. That is, that's totally why this led. And I mean, this is a, an issue that conflates sex and money, right? Because these women are being paid to carry these children. Uh, Here's the quote from the Pope. He says, I deem deplorable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and child based on the exploitation of situations of the mother's material needs. He says, a child is always a gift and never the basis of a commercial contract. So it's, it's really this conflation of money with, you know, childbearing with what he sees as a gift that he takes issue with. So let's talk about the Pope's main focus, which was on war and peace. And we know that peace is the main goal of the Vatican's international diplomacy work. We've talked about that a lot on the show before. But the Pope spoke about many different conflicts by name. Since Israel and Palestine has really had the world's focus last few months, I want to ask you about what he said about that. Yes, this is the issue on which he spoke most. He said that he was greatly troubled by what is happening in Israel and Palestine. He called for the ceasefire. And as I've said before, 153 of the 193 states in the United Nations have also called for a ceasefire. The one who has been most reluctant to go down that track has been the United States. Because of its alliance with Israel. And and of course, Israel. But he said we were shocked by the attack on 7 October. I condemned that. He said many people lost their lives, uh, men, women, children. I repeat my condemnation. He says, as I do of other terrorist actions. So expanding it a bit. Then he called for the immediate release of all the hostages. Right. I mean, I think there are 129 hostages, if I'm not mistaken. The figure seems to change a little. Held in captivity in Gaza, mostly by Hamas, but some by other groups, armed groups. He called for their release. He then said that humanitarian aid must be provided to the Palestinian people in Gaza. There is around 2 million people lacking food, clean water, medicines, shelter. Uh, 70% of the houses have been apparently blown down, destroyed or damaged. So people are living in tents. And he said that hospitals, 
schools, places of worship must be protected. That's the international law. And he said, we've seen in modern wars that the civilian population are now the ones that are most hit by the wars. The distinction that was in the former type of war, where you had the distinction between the combatants, the soldiers fighting, and the civilians, seems to have vanished. And Jerry, this distinction between soldiers and civilians is very important in the international law that governs how wars are fought. And the Pope mentioned this. He said that there are war crimes happening and that these are actions that are against international law that are happening in Gaza. Yes. For me, that was one of the strongest new things that he said. He said war crimes are happening. And also, of course, in Ukraine. And he called for a ceasefire in Ukraine and in Lebanon. He also continued his calls for a two-state solution, which has been the position of the Vatican for a long time. But, you know, a lot of people have been talking during this kind of phase of the conflict about whether that's even possible anymore. So should we take this to mean that the Vatican still thinks that two-state is possible? There are two possibilities. The Vatican is aware of two possibilities, but traditionally it has supported the two-state solution, which was the decision at, of the United Nations at the time of the, the partition of the country. What was realized was the one-state solution, the state of Israel. What was never realized was the other part of the equation, the state of Palestine. The United Nations General Assembly some years ago recognized Palestine as a state and hence the Vatican now has diplomatic relations with the state of Palestine, as well as with the state of Israel. And the ambassadors from both states were present at this talk. Exactly. And then there was an extra part to what the Pope was asking for. He wants an international status for the city of Jerusalem. Right. It relates to the freedom of religion of the three Abrahamic religions. He says all believers should be able to access the city of Jerusalem. This has been a long-standing position two-state solution plus international status for Jerusalem. Of course, the members of the present government in Israel, which is the most right-wing in the history of the state, according to all observers, is absolutely not in accord with this. So the, the Pope's uh, talk was very strong, very clear. Ceasefire, release of hostages, humanitarian aid for the Palestinians, a stop to the war crimes, the hitting of the civilian population, and two-state solution and the international status of, of Jerusalem. And then from there, he went to the question of Ukraine. Right. This is a bigger question that I want to ask you about, which is, you know, the Pope referred to this idea of a third world war fought piecemeal that he has spoken about many, many times over the years. He said that this third world war fought piecemeal that he's often referred to is now a genuine global conflict. There are so many different wars in the world. What does he mean here that it's now a genuine global conflict? Well, you see, for example, what's happening in Israel, Palestine right now. Lebanon is being involved. Yemen is being involved. Syria is being involved. There have been killings in all these countries, bombings. And Iran is being pointed to. And Turkey is strongly involved. Antony Blinken is on a trip to prevent the expansion of the conflict, the involvement of other countries in this conflict. Already, the situation is very tense. The killing of the one of the Hamas leaders in Beirut, and now the killing of Hezbollah leader in Lebanon, and earlier the killing of an Iranian senior military officer in Syria. These 
could be trigger events for the expansion of the conflict and a much greater conflagration than anybody would wish for. So the potential for the war expanding is a deep concern of the Vatican, of the Pope. They are well aware because the Vatican has the diplomatic missions in every country and the Pope is getting feedback and he's also meeting heads of state or they're contacting him by phone. And so when he spoke, he was saying a part of what he knows and trying to communicate the urgency to stop the fighting. All right, Jerry, that seems like a really good summary of the Pope's talk. You have a really interesting interview that recently came out with the Jesuit priest David Neuhaus. He's an Israeli Jesuit who's a really astute political observer. He has really interesting and nuanced takes on the current conflict. Um, So I'm going to link to that story in the show notes as well as your write-up on the Pope's talk to the diplomats. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll look at what's planned for Pope Francis in 2024. Stay with us. This is our first episode of the new year, so we're going to take the rest of this episode to look at some of Pope Francis's plans for 2024. Now, Jerry, you did some digging with your Vatican sources, and you were able to report some new information about this. What did you find out? Well, first of all, that the Pope is in good health. He's recovered really well. And we saw it yesterday, Colleen. He spoke for 45 minutes without really any real stumbling or hitch on the thing. This is the talk to the diplomats, which is a big change from what we saw from him in December, right? Where he had somebody else reading his speeches. I think the big surprise to me was that he envisages a 10-day trip to Asia. That's going to be really demanding. That That is a long trip, Colleen. He's going to Indonesia, which is the country with the largest Muslim population in the world. He's going to Singapore, which is very small, but which is also a key transit point for going to Timor-Leste, which is the most Catholic country in Asia, even if it's just got a 2 million population. 97% of it are Catholic. They've got a lot of vocations. They've set up a seminary. They've got a a nunciature there. They just want him. And then he's going to Papua New Guinea, which is way, way far out, not far from Australia. And he has said, This was a visit I had promised to make before COVID, but it had to be canceled because of COVID. Is this a confirmed trip, Jerry? Well, it's not absolutely confirmed. And I I think uh, we will have a confirmation of it probably another month. And then there's a second visit, which the Pope is going to certain. It's to Belgium. We knew about this one. It's the 600th anniversary of the Catholic University of Louvain. And then there is the question of Argentina, his homeland. Right, which has been a question for 10 years now. Yeah, he said uh, before he said to people, I lived 76 years in the country. I think they know me, you know, but they want him. There are many, many people now want the new president who publicly criticized him in the campaign, but had a phone call, a very friendly phone call with him two days after his election. And in that phone call, he said to Francis, please, I'm officially inviting you to come to the country. The bishops have invited him long ago. The other presidents have also invited him. The situation in the country is very complicated because you've got 140% plus inflation. You've got maybe 
almost half the population very poor. You've got a lot of political tensions. So the people are reserving their bets on whether this will happen or not. In a word, Colleen, either he goes this year or I don't think he will return to his homeland. Jerry, another possible visit that you mentioned in your story was Vietnam. Now, we were just talking about the possibility of Vietnam and the Holy See establishing diplomatic relations, and the president invited the Pope to visit. What do you think? Is this trip going to happen? Francis wants to visit. And you remember in, on the plane coming back from Mongolia, when, when I asked him the question, I said, you know, what are your next trips? Could you visit Vietnam? And he says, they deserve a visit. If I don't go, John the 24th will go. In other words, the next pope will go. Yes, right. John the 24th. <laughs> Subsequent to that, the president has actually sent him an official letter inviting him. I spoke to a top Vatican official and I said, uh, you know, is the, what do you think? He said, well, the pope would like to go, but we would like, that's the Vatican Secretariat of State, we would like uh, to establish diplomatic relations first and then for the papal visit to take place. This would be a normal kind of procedure. And I said, but that could happen quickly, couldn't it? And he said, yes, it could. Okay, we'll keep our eyes on that. And then, of course, President Macron of France wants the Pope at all costs to come to the reopening of the famous Notre Dame Cathedral, which suffered from major fire in 2019. So this is going to reopen on December 8th, the piece of the Immaculate Conception. No sign yet of whether the Pope will actually attend. No, well, apparently the Archbishop of Paris said to him, you know, we'd like you to come, but the Pope didn't kind of say yes. But I, I, I think it's an open question. So we've got the Pope being in good health. We have a bunch of possible papal visits. What else, really quickly, is on the docket for 2024? Well, of course, there are some major appointments. I mentioned two very significant ones. There will be some appointments in the Vatican. One is, they call him the major penitentiary or the apostolic penitentiary. It means really the top confessor in the Vatican. He's a guy who keeps his position even during a conclave in case the cardinals need to confess something very big. Mm -hmm. And the current holder of that position is Cardinal Piacenza, who is going to turn 80 soon, which is the retirement age. That's right. And he, he's reaching the age of 80 this year. And then there are two very significant figures, Cardinal Gracius of India and Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston. And they're both important advisors to the Pope. They have been on the Council of Ad Cardinal Advisors from day one. Mm -hmm. So both of them are turning 80 and they're going to need replacements. Yes, uh, Sean O'Malley will turn 80 on the 29th of June and uh, Cardinal Gracius in December of, of uh, this year. Christmas Eve. These are big seas, you know, Boston and Mumbai. And these are people who have exercised enormous influence in their own countries, in the United States, in India. And so there will be much interest in who is appointed in their place. And then there are many of the Vatican's diplomatic missions. There are embassies in different countries. I think there are about 14 of them, in fact, which do not have a nuncio, that's an ambassador representing the Vatican in these different countries. The Pope will have to appoint these as well. So there are lots of nominations. And then, of course, there is the Synod, Colleen. Right. So we're going to have the second Roman session of the Synod on Synodality in October. And it was interesting in your article, you said it's not clear how long this meeting is going to last. When we were in Rome, I assumed that the next meeting would also be a month long. Is that not so? Well, I, I remember at the end of the last Synod, many of them said it was a s marathon. Yes. Yeah. People were really tired. 
they said they were exhausted. They said it can be shortened. We can remove this and this and this. Now, some have even suggested to me that it could be maybe as short as two weeks. Oh, wow. I have uh, tried to check this out. And the information I have from very solid sources is that no decision has yet been taken. It is. It could be that it is shorter, but a decision has not yet been taken. Jerry, we talked a lot about Asia earlier when we were talking about the Pope's travels. I want to circle back to the Vatican-China deal. Um, this reaches another kind of renewal milestone. What do you expect from this? In September 2018, the Vatican signed provisional agreement with Beijing on the nomination of bishops. It only dealt with the nomination of bishops in mainland China, because at that time there were more than 30 dioceses without a bishop, and the risk was if they didn't sign the agreement, that China might do it its way and appoint its own bishops. This gave the Pope a final say in the appointment. They have renewed it in 2020. Of course, they they, were, they weren't able to meet because of COVID. They re- renewed it again in 2022. And now it's up for renewal again in October 2024. Question, will it be renewed for another two years? Will it be made permanent agreement or will the Vatican insist that there are some changes to it? And that feels like an open question because, you know, China has violated the deal in early 2023. Yes, twice twice they they violated the agreement. So there's been a big question of, you know, whether the Vatican is actually getting anything out of this this relationship at this point. It's a big question because if you think in six years in which this agreement has been in force, you've had four or five bishops appointed. It, it is a meager result. The Vatican officials are the first to say it. And some have asked, you know, at what cost does this come to the Vatican? Because the Vatican has been pretty harshly criticized for not speaking out against the imprisonment of the Uyghurs in, in China. And they some have said that they're not doing that in order to keep a good relationship with China. I don't know if you agree with that analysis, but well, you know, when America had its interview with Francis in the Vatican, November 22, 2022, I asked the Pope, China is committing a lot of human rights violations, is treating the underground not well. What do you do? And he said, it's the question is whether to dialogue or not to dialogue. I have chosen to dialogue. That is the best way of diplomacy. And he said, we dialogue as far as is possible. So Francis has taken a very clear decision. The Holy See will dialogue with China. He has avoided criticizing China. And there are signs that this has gone down well. It's a question of, you know, building blocks of trust. One more thing. At the very end of 2024, just before Christmas, the Pope is expected to open the new Jubilee year 2025. Now, I remember we had the Jubilee year of mercy in 2015, and that was a big deal. The Pope uh, was making these weekly visits of mercy. He put in place a mission for mercy, which was a group of priests around the world that are still doing work that deals with forgiveness and so on. And he opened the the holy doors right around the world um, that people could go through and receive an indulgence. So what is this 2025 Jubilee year? What, what can we expect? Well, first of all, I, this is becoming a bigger event than many of us had anticipated because it's the, the the Holy Year, the Jubilee Year, comes every 25 years. So it, it was a kind of natural 
John Paul II had it in year 2000. 2025 would the natural sequel to that. Francis now, as he said yesterday in the talk to the diplomatic corps, he said, there is now a real need for a holy year, mm-hmm. for reconciliation, for peace, for putting down the, the swords. And he quoted the prophet Isaiah. Secondly, he has gone back to the traditional way of having pilgrims come to Rome. The motto of the Jubilee year 2025 is pilgrims in hope. And this is a change from 2015 where it was really focused on having like local outreach? Decentralized. Got it. All decentralized. All decentralized. This is now centralized. And they are expecting Archbishop Fisichello, an Italian archbishop who's in charge of it, said we could get 30 to 35 million pilgrims coming to Rome. Over the course of the year, right? That's almost that's almost 3 million a month in the 12 months of the Jubilee year. If you think the population of Rome is just around that number. So for every inhabitant of Rome, there will be be a pilgrim. And Jerry, I thought it was hard to find a hotel room during the Synod. <laughs> and then, of course, between the Synod, which is in October, the Jubilee will start before Christmas. Sometime around then, uh, I think we will have a consistory to make new cardinals. And the Pope has held one of those almost every year. So at this point, it's it's not really even out of the ordinary. Uh, we'll just have to see who the new cardinals are. Okay, so we are going to cover all of this here on Inside the Vatican. There is also, if you can believe it, even more in Jerry's story. Uh, we didn't even talk about the, the expected canonization of this Argentine saint, for example. So you can find more details on all of this in Jerry's report on the Pope's upcoming year. I'll link to it in our show notes. Jerry, welcome back. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to do another year of this podcast with you. Happy New Year to all our listeners. I think uh, we will have lots to tell them because there will be the appeal court, for example, on, on the Bechu case, and on the big trial of the century in the Vatican. And then Francis is the Pope of surprises. Yes, we never know what he's going to do. Who knows what else he will pull out of the hat. All right, Jerry, we will wait and see. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. It's produced by me and Ricardo De Silva. Audio engineering is by Kevin Christopher Robles, with production assistance from Delaney Coyne, our O'Hara Media Fellow, and Vivian Richard at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. The show is in part recorded at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Dully, that's C O L L E E N D U L L E, and Jerry on X at Jerry O Rome, that's G E R R Y O R O M E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's really easy and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, What do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. 
Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections.